Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where each week we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems, and how our guests have turned problems into opportunities. This week, I'm talking to Thomas Karesti, former Fortune 500 CEO, executive coach, leadership expert, and author of the leadership book, C-Suite and Beyond, The Four Keys to Leadership Success, which captures 30 years of stories from C-suites across the globe. We talked about this a little bit, but I'm really fascinated by how we can turn 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 an opportun- a problem into an opportunity uh, how we can build success out of kind of the, the the struggle that 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 people deal with in business and in life and i think there are a lot of lessons that people can take from from business and apply them to to their lives in general how how we can actually lead richer lives which is i think what we're kind of all trying to do so Tell me a little bit about your history. How did you come to write a book on leadership? Just uh, life humbling me through, you know, 30, 40 years and uh, lots of experience. And regarding your comment, look, um, through adversity comes opportunity. And and number two, uh, success is um, really your worst enemy. Uh, because if you're constantly successful, you, you, you know, say, so look, why change? I'm successful, right? Yeah. Uh, things are going well. Uh, even if it's things like mediocre, you think you're doing okay. Uh, it's really through those values, uh, values where, you know, life is just a sine wave, you know, it's a series of peaks and valleys and, you know, it keeps beating just like your heart keeps beating, just like you keep breathing and you go through success and failures. And as long as you're on top of the peak, you're like, well, you know, things are why working change? well. Or, yeah. Why, yeah. Why would why I do change? anything? Yeah. It's working. Yeah. And, and then when you hit the valley, you go, oh, crap, you know, now, you know, now, now it's time to pivot. So, so my yeah. life's been a series of valleys and peaks. And, um, you know, it's uh, every time I hit a valley, I was like, okay, well, uh, let's look at this and, and let's see how we can do it different. Yeah, I, I think that it's so important for, for, for us all to remember that um, and, until the, the, you've, you've really reached the valley, you, you don't feel the need to change, right? People don't reevaluate or even oftentimes try to optimize unless things are just going really wrong because <laughs> you go it's uh, okay enough you know it's just, it's all right and maybe and 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 we play this game with ourselves of how 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 much more should i do it's you know i, I think people do that with their income that 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 you go well, I'm, I'm making enough you know it's it may not be everything that i want to do but i can go to the grocery store i can swipe my credit card i can i can make it work it's okay but and i'm not talking about just constantly wanting more 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 but going well maybe there's a maybe there's one step i could take that would actually put me on a on an upward trajectory instead of just flat or downward all those things, unless you get to the unless you get to the bottom. So, you know, give you've you've worked for for several international organizations outside of the United States. I'm kind of fascinated by uh, I, I, working for an international organization. One comprised of people from a lot of different places presents a lot of unique challenges. I would think having worked for a Swiss bank, where just trying to meld the corporate culture of the people in Switzerland with the kind of cowboy financial advisors that that we at one point had in our, in our organization was 
mind-bogglingly mind-bogglingly difficult for 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 the Swiss to understand the kind of free free spirited nature. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like to to work in an international organization like that. I uh, I'm a big advocate of uh, diverse thinking, and and I think one of the nice things that you have in an international organization is uh, you're able to put together teams which are very diverse. And, uh, you know, when we talk about diversity in the U.S. and you and I are in California, you know, we, we tend to focus diversity on skin color. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a big advocate to say, look, you know, it's not about skin color because, look, you can get somebody, you know, you can get 10 people in the same room with the same skin, skin color, but they still not diverse thinkers. You know, they all think the same. So what good is that? Good? So it's really about diversity of thought, diversity of how you approach problem solving. And that's great about international organizations because you can get into one room, you know, people from Brazil and South Africa or Zimbabwe and, you know, Korea, uh, New Zealand, you know, Poland. And, and everybody kind of looks at the world a little bit different because of because of their heritage, where they're from. And, and all of a sudden you open up the, the gamut of, of how you're going to solve a problem. It's still the same problem, but, you know, maybe you, you may come up maybe five, six, seven different solutions. Uh, then if you just have one set of individuals in a room and they all think the same. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of diversity thinking. And that's one of the things that, you know, you can find in a multinational organization. Um, the other thing in a multinational organization, you mentioned I was, a, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was an expat for 20 some odd years. And look, by, by design, an expat is, is sent to a country to solve a problem, right? Um, so I was always sent to a country for a large organization to look at their local subsidiary and say, look, something's not working right. So Tom, can you go fix it? You know, maybe it wasn't growing fast enough. Maybe it wasn't profitable enough. Maybe there were some other issues. And and by design, you know, those, those assignments are two, maybe three years at the most. And mm-hmm. why is that? Well, if you haven't fixed it or haven't turned it in two or three years, <laughs> you, 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 probably not going to do it. You get fired, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so so there's, you know, ex- or maybe you don't get fired. Maybe they bring you back to headquarters or something like that. But, you know, in two or three years, you're out if you haven't done your job uh, right. or if you have if you've done a good job, then in two or three years, they want you out because they want you to go somewhere else and pick something bigger and better. Uh, so there's the constant sine wave in, in the expat world where. Um, you know, if I was in an assignment for two, three years, uh, I would go through like two, three sets of friends because people were coming and people are going. It's it's a very transient <laughs> community. So, so talk about, you know, pivoting adaptability and, and uh, um, you know, it, it's like it, it's the world that I lived in for for more than 20 years. So um, I don't know if that, that kind of shuts some lights on it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I remember, um, you know, a, a little bit like I was saying that I, I worked for UBS, which is a Swiss bank, and we would oftentimes struggle to uh, integrate the different perspectives that that came in, right? And and we we valued it, of course, on a, on a U.S. based team to to have people help us get insight into what the 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 executives in. Uh, in Switzerland wanted out of the organization, like what, what they were really trying to get, because we would even use different, different words. I mean, you'd be speaking the same language, but using different terms and and meanings to, to understand what, what we were trying to do. Uh, And just, just trying to integrate those different perspectives, wanting to, 
but also needing to 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 go in a certain direction and and having a, a mandate that's that in some, sometimes disagreed with what what you felt was the perspective that you were trying to get you, you find yourself kind of at loggerheads i mean a little bit giving lip service to leadership development things like that as i felt that the organization at times did and this is no real criticism of the organization but rather uh just a statement of how at times it felt that they wanted people to advance they they wanted to develop leaders but they kept just going through people instead of actually advancing them i mean that people kept you know getting i mean it's like well you didn't achieve the results well i didn't know what the results were that i was supposed to achieve nobody was ever clear with me on 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 these things and and you'd try and try and try and just things wouldn't things wouldn't happen so what what would you say is kind of what are the attributes necessary for an organization to actually develop leaders and to to make that change stick rather than just talking about it well, look, one of the things I talk about in the book is one of the keys is, is really having a, a unique and, and good organizational culture. And, uh, you know, the culture is extremely important. And in that particular sense, a, a company like UBS, you know, they've, they've gone through a number of mergers and acquisitions over their lives. You know, they, they've gobbled up companies and they grew and they grew and they grew. And um, what happens is, is if, if you have to integrate all those into your own culture, whatever that culture is. I, I don't know what that culture is, but um, when you join an organization, I tell people all the time, hey, look at their website, uh, talk to people and find out what their culture is and what their vision is. And if that agrees with you, then fantastic. If it doesn't agree with you, then don't even join because chances are likely, you know, in the next six months or 12 years, either they're firing you or you're leaving on your own because it just doesn't feel right. And that's really, you know, the, the lesson that I would have for any organization, for any individual is, is make sure you have a, a strong and unique culture. And then, you know, what's going to happen is, is you either buy into that culture and they see you as part of that culture and then they develop you. Or maybe they don't see you as part of that culture. Maybe, they, you know, maybe you're sending signals out where you're, you're not really being a team player as part of that culture. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, you know, you know, maybe Tom is not a team player, so maybe we don't invest in him and we don't develop him. And, you know, uh, Andy is or Andrew is a, is a team player, so we're going to develop him and make sure he's one of our future leaders. So I, I think that could come play into it. Yeah, I mean, so that's part of the other question that comes up is what what attributes do you see as being kind of essential in an aspiring leader? I mean, somebody who who is ambitious, wants to grow in the organization, believes in the culture, all those things. How, I mean, how can organizations find these people and how can you distinguish yourself as, as somebody who wants to join the fight, so to speak? Well, look, leadership is a people business. You know, people ask me sometimes, hey, you know, you know, what, what are leaders like in the technology industry or what are leaders in the consumer goods industry or what are leaders in, you know, construction? Look, it, it's a people business leadership. And um, in, in order for people to buy into you, uh, you have to have, you know, they have to know what they're buying into. I mean, and eventually, and, and this was the biggest lesson for me when, when I left the Fortune 100 company, uh, I used to have guys with, you know, Harvard MBAs and Oxford MBAs looking for jobs uh, inside my organization. And I would interview them and, and they would love to work with me, not, not because I was Tom Caresti, but because I worked for this brand, this large, you know, multinational brand that they wanted to work for. They would just be on my team. Then, you know, I 
went on my own and I left corporate America or corporate, you know, global corporations and, and I opened my own shop. And then, you know, I try to recruit good talent. Everybody should like, well, who are you? Why should I work for you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, so it's extremely important, especially if you're, you know, a, a small business or just starting up a business to really have a sense of strong identity, who you are, because that's what people are going to buy into. Because you may not have a, a big, strong brand. So you're, you're literally buying into that individual and what they're all about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, I, I, there's so many lessons that, 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 like you say, it's a, it's a people business. And, and I, I feel like at times larger organizations, just from observation, seem to forget that sometimes. Um, that, that they, they know it, they say it, but it, it doesn't come across in, in how people act and, and comport themselves. And, uh, in, in a world where we have uh, a lot of, uh, people who, who might be classified as, as being psychologically, uh, troubled, uh, actually get 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 advanced because we 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 prioritize certain skills above others that that you know shoot them up in an organization but um what i mean kind of what advice would you give to a, somebody starting a business today uh trying to trying to recruit talent especially in in today's world where we're having a lot of trouble getting qualified people into roles starting your business forming storming all those things what would you say to somebody going off starting their own shop today? For people that are listening to me in your podcast that may have heard me on different podcasts, you know, this is going to be repeat, 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 because I say this too. Just about right. every podcast I'm on, I say this. But there's three questions every individual should answer themselves. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you why that's important for any leader, whether you're starting up or, or you're in a CEO of a, a, a C-suite. So the first one is, is know who you are. And uh, again, I'm a servant leader, which means that everything I do is going to be serving others, you know, serving my employees, serving my customers um, in a private setting, serving my family. Right. Um, the second question is, what are you passionate about? And I'm passionate about making better products, making, making companies better, making people better. And the third question is, what am I good at? I'm pretty good at mentoring and leading. So, so why is that important? Well, the first one is, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know what you stand for, how can you expect somebody to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow Tom because I have no idea who he is. I have no yeah. idea what he's about. I mean, I'm going to buy into an individual so so I can buy into that guy. Whatever his, whatever they're about, I either buy into them or don't buy into them. The second question is, uh, you know, what is Tom passionate about? If Tom is not passionate about that cause, why the heck should I be passionate about it? Right. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm going to follow Tom's lead and, and Tom is just like nonchalant or not so excited about what, whatever he's doing that I'm not going to be excited about that. And then third one is just what are you good at? It's just like, look, if Tom is incompetent or something, why, why in God's name would I want to you know, follow him? <laughs> um, so and by the way, incompetence is 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 more forgiving than like if you don't know who you are. Right. So if, yeah. if your character, your, your character is, is not forgiving uh, your right. competence, you know, you may have some lead way there depending on, on what situation you're in. But that's a, that's a key for every individual, I think, uh, because if you can honestly answer those three questions and, and live your life, then some people have jobs, some people have careers, and then some people get to live their calling. And if you have clarity on those three questions, then you have an answer to what your calling is, and, and you'll just be more successful. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that clarity is 
always the name of the game with with so much of this stuff. Like you say, who are you? And getting clear, it's a step that so many people skip. Like, who are you? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? And I think people are, are at times maybe afraid of looking at, at some of those things like, oh, I'm not good at anything or, man, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. And and focus on, on perhaps the, the negatives and can't get clear on those things. And, and maybe they need some help. But being clear, getting clear, being laser focused on your personal mission who you are, what matters, those kinds of things will pay dividends throughout your career in life because it suddenly gives you a metric by which to evaluate an opportunity that that comes along. You go, that's that is something I need to do because that's all about me. That's that's going to be that's where I can shine. I'm passionate about it and all that stuff. And, um, and here's here's the good news. Uh, Everybody's good at something. Right? <laughs> I, it, it, you know, nobody's a total failure at everything. So just find out what you're good at. I mean, you know, and and then if if you're good at it and you're passionate about it, I I, I love to use my youngest daughter as an example. Um, you know, she went to Loyola Marymount, which is up on you know your neck of the woods, and she was a theater major. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she loved theater as a young kid, but then when she graduated, she just hated the whole, you know, Hollywood <laughs> industry. So well, she walked away from it. Right. But she had a because she had a creative, you know, she had a creative skill set. Right. So she got into she got into climbing mountains. She loved climbing mountains. She, you know, she climbed Whitney and Rainier and, and basically Six Solar Speaks. And she, she never had a good job. You know, she had like all these sidekicks that she was doing. Uh, but she loved climbing mountains. She made, you know, lots and lots of, you know, photographs and she made a documentary. And, you know, before you know it, she's got like 15,000, 20,000 followers on on, uh, on Instagram. Yep. Um, and before you know it, Kodiak Cakes calls her and hires her to be their social media, you know, person. Right. So now she's living the dream. She works for a company that she loves, which is, you know, they, they're, I think, the fastest growing pancake mix right now. They're, mm-hmm. Passing uh, what used to be Ann Jemima and now it's General Mills or something. Um, great, you know, small company to work for. Uh, they love the outdoors. They have a lot of spokespeople that are, uh, you know, supporting, you know, mountain climbing and all kinds of athletics. So she, she's in her sweet spot. She loves what she's doing. For many years, she was trying to figure out, you know, what life is all about. And, you know, she was holding a job in here and there. And, you know, she was getting by. But now, She's in her wheelhouse and, and just she, she knows what she loves to do. She's very creative. She loves the mountains. She loves the outdoors. And now she's making a good living at it. So just look, stick stick to, you know, for your audience, just stick to what you're passionate about. Stick with what you love, what you're good at. And and sooner or later, things will work out. Yeah. Well, I, I think kind of the, the next question then becomes you're forming a business. You're you're doing something in life and you you butt up against failure. Right. You, you you don't get the success that you'd hope to get. You aren't able to to do those things that you wanted to do um, yet. Right. And how I mean, you've seen this a lot in your uh, coaching clients, I'm sure, in, in the people that you work with in organizations. How do the best people deal with failure and, and success? Well, the best deal, the best way to fail, uh, to deal with failure is just to anticipate it. You know, just, just to say, look, failure is part of growing. 
And um, and I forgot who this psychologist was because I actually quoted in the book, but um, most people over-exaggerate the consequence of failure. Right? They, they basically say, oh my God, you know, if I'm going to fail, what's going to happen? The world's going to end, you know, I'm going to die, whatever. So um, look, don't over-exaggerate the constant failure because when you actually do fail, it's perfectly okay. You'll still get up in the morning. You'll, you know, <laughs> your, your heart's still ticking. And then uh, the most important thing about failure, however, is to learn what happened. Right? Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you don't learn from your experience, then it's just stuff that happens to you. Right? Um, but if you do fail, you say, okay, why did I fail? Right? And you know, <laughs> there's, uh, I think it was... I think it was Thomas Edison or something, you know, he, he basically, he, he was basically doing some experiments and he almost, you know, blew up the lab. And I think it was like a thousand experiments before he actually, you know, invented the, uh, the light bulb or something, but you know, he almost killed him and his partner by blowing up something in the lab. And yeah. his partner said, Oh my God, you know, you're crazy. And he goes, he, he went right to his notes and he said, okay, well, this is what happened on, on this, <laughs> this particular thing. So he put it down in his notes. So he, he doesn't make the same mistake. You know, let's not um, do that again. Yeah. Let's not do it again. Um, but that's, that's I think, the biggest uh, lesson that I learned every time that I failed is to say, okay, well, what did I learn from it and what would I have done different? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, 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 I think had a comp- Jack yeah. Welch actually blew the roof off a factory or something and then got to be CEO of General Electric. So it's yeah. possible to, you know, you can, you can fail spectacularly and still soldier right on. Yeah, yeah. So, so don't be afraid of it, and you know, just 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 accept it. Say, look, it's going to happen. Uh, maybe it won't be a dramatic, huge failure that you blow up the roof of a you know a factory. Maybe it'd be a maybe a smaller failure, but as as long as you learn from it, I'm, you know, I I know myself. I after I uh, left you know corporations, I had a distribution company up in Northern California, and um, we we're distributing uh, an Italian brand of coffee, and and at the height of that business. Uh, America's Cup was in San Francisco and, you know, we, we had Oracle, which was Team Oracle, which, you know, was yeah. the leading and, and they were our partners in, uh, uh, in, in advertising and coffee and everything else. I mean, that's that was the time to sell the business. Right. And, and I, I didn't sell the business then. I you know, hung on to it for like another two, two and a half years. And compared to what I could have got for it when I, you know, I was at the height, you know, I probably got about 35, 40 cents on a dollar. You know, instead of, you know, selling at a peak. So that was a lesson to me and say, look, you know, time it right. If you're going to exit a business, kind of have a really good plan on, you know, when you're going to exit, how you're going to exit, you know, structured accordingly rather than just, you know, haphazardly, you know, trying to exit. Yeah. I, and that's a thing because I, I ask myself that question all the time with personal stuff, investments, whatever, talking to people. And that's the elusive quality of market timing, in a sense, when, when you're talking about buying stocks and stuff, that how do you know when the top is? Because, like, it feels great. We're, we're here. We're, we're, we're here. And you go, There's, we can go so much further. And we can continue up. And you, you go, oops, actually, in retrospect, that was the height. And now I know uh, all of this. But also being prepared to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. Right. Like, okay, yeah. this is part of the strategy. And if you stick to the plan, if you're if your plan, I mean, I, take it away from a business for a second and you, 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 you buy an asset, whatever that asset is, and you're in the game to be investing in different assets, not not to, to be buying a house or whatever and just living it for the rest of your life. Uh, and you said, all right, 
I, if this gets to this value and it becomes a certain percentage of my portfolio, I'm going to cut that and bring it down so that I'm not overexposed to 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 that asset. And yeah, you don't just get greedy. Yeah, don't get, go, don't get greedy. Thank you for for turning my 18 sentences. Into, <laughs> that's it. Don't get greedy. And that's I, I, that's hard. Man, is that hard when you're when you're looking at something and going. This is working. We're 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 going. I got I got something big here, and then to go. All right, that we've we've hit our target. We've exceeded our target. Let's 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 cut this off. Um, now, talking about those kinds of things, what would you say gets in the way of success? I mean, what's the? You work with a lot of different people. I know. Among your your coaching clients, organizations you've been working with, what would you say is the, the number one thing that's getting in the way of people being successful? Uh, they don't think they have a problem. <laughs> I, no, no, seriously. I, I, you know, I, early in my career, uh, all of a sudden this, uh, well, maybe it wasn't early and, you know, probably I was about maybe 10, 15 years into my career. And, um, you know, somebody set up a meeting with me with an executive coach. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't need it, but I didn't think I needed it. So, you know, I, I have this meeting with the executive coach and, and I'm like, yeah, I don't need you. I mean, you know, why are you here? And, you know, um, the, the most common mistake I see with, uh, you know, senior leaders, senior executives is, is they think they're perfect. They think they're, you know, have all the answers and um, they don't think they have any blind spots and, and they don't think they need help. Um, and look, that's why I love alcoholics because they're, you know, they stand up and they go, Hey, I got a problem. Right. (laughs) I recognize I got a problem. I'm going to do something about it. And, and unless you recognize that you have a problem and you seek help, uh, you can never fix it. And I think that's, that's really what, what basically they get in their own way at at that level is the problem. This kind of a humbleness, uh, humility, whatever you want to call it, that, that should be coming into play. I, that kind of knowing what you don't know and knowing that you don't know it. Um, you talk about four pillars in your in your book, um, uh, kind of the, the the things that you work through with companies to help them develop uh, leadership in their ranks: discovery, direction, growth, people. Can you talk to me a little bit more about why those four pillars are kind of so important? I just found uh, that in my own experience, uh, when those four pillars were present in my life thing, or my companies, um, things were working well. And, and one or more of those missing things were not going so well. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of validated that with other larger good organizations and leaders. And I said, well, you know, it's not just me. It's in fact, we all have these in common. Um, look, if, if, like I said, the first one was culture or character. I've never known a company that was successful long term. They didn't have a culture, mm-hmm. right, which is the equivalent of an individual's character. I never knew a company that didn't have a clear vision statement that was a simple and clear vision statement that was successful. The, you know, the just contrast, a couple I use all the time is Nike and Puma. Nike, Puma, both successful athletic companies. And Nike's vision statement is we unleash human potential. And Puma is with the fastest brand on earth. 
And that kind of defines everything they do. You know, Puma basically goes after endorsements like Usain Bolt, like Michael Schumacher, because those are fast folks. You know, Nike goes after, you know, different kind of athletes because that vision kind of defines who they are. Uh, you know, Microsoft's vision statement is very different than Apple's. Great, two great companies, but both are really easy to understand. Um, you know, Coca-Cola versus Pepsi. You know, there's a reason why Coca-Cola is not in snacks. It's part of their vision statements. We refresh the world. So snacks are usually not refreshing. Pepsi is, you know, basically have, you know, has a very different angle on what their vision statement is. And it's something that, you know, Dave Martin calls it a cathedral vision statement, uh, which I think is a great, de- you know, de- definition that the, the people that designed uh, and built the original European cathedrals, they knew that by the time the cathedral was finished, it's going to be, you know, they're going to be well six foot under, you know, right. it's going to far outlive them. So cathedral vision is, you know, is your vision a, a cathedral vision? So that's extremely support, uh, important. You know, if you look at uh, Kodak, for example, you know, they lost their vision statement and look where they are today. They used to be an imaging company, right? And and they if, if they just stuck with their vision of imaging with today's technology, you know, who knows where they would be, but they kind of got away from their vision and, and, and totally went down a rabbit hole. Uh, and they're, they're not on the map anymore, just simply because they lost their, their uh, vision. Uh, the third one we call about is uh, the third pillar is strategic growth. Um, and, and where companies go wrong there usually is they get distracted with the latest shiny object. So they put together a strategy, they put, put together a growth plan, but has nothing to do with their vision. So it takes them way off course. Yeah. Um, and that's what you know gets into the trouble. You know, American Can became an insurance company. I don't know how the heck that happened, but you know, uh, that was back in the back in the seventies. Um, but again, if if you if you have a strategy, by all means, you should be a growth strategy because we're all trying to get better. We're all trying to be you know improving our lives. So you should be growing as an individual. You should be growing as a company. But make sure that the strategy and that growth plan is aligned. Uh, with your vision. So it gets you into the right direction. And, and the final one, obviously, is we already talked about this, put together a diverse team, uh, mm-hmm. but a diverse thinking team. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I want to go back a little bit to the aspect of get, getting disconnected from your vision. Because, again, getting clear on that and sticking to it. Now, that's a big lesson, right? It's okay. We know what our vision statement is. We know what our purpose is. We, 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 we've been clear on that. Um, but uh, our, our values can become disconnected from, from our vision and our strategy can be way off, way off base. How? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm almost fascinated by what the what the mindset is of, of people who decide they've got to move into a completely unrelated business that, that, you know, like you say, American can became an insurance company. Um, I mean, GE got into lending that GE capital and, 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 and long-term care insurance and all this, you go, the name of your company is general electric. What does any of that have to do with, with all that, and I could say, okay, well, there's an ancillary business line here, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna lend on the purchases of our equipment. We're gonna finance those kinds of things, like an automobile company does. But to get so far afield and and disconnected, is it that people don't realize they're not expert in everything, or is it just that 
that that that somebody sees like you say a shiny object and uh uh gets distracted what's what's going on there well i i'd have to say it's leadership yeah right? uh, uh i i love warren buffett's quote he said look uh i want to invest in companies that have strong brands so any dummy can run it because one day a dummy will run it right? <laughs> and yeah. um and people get, you know, the one of the first companies that I worked for when I graduated from from college was Colgate Palmolive. And uh, back in the 70s, and I, I graduated in 1980, so that was my first job. But back in the 70s, uh, Wall Street uh, loved uh, acquisitions. But there was not really a sense of acquisitions in the sense that they are today, because Colgate still makes a lot of acquisitions, but they do it very differently. So back in the 70s, they would just go buy up companies that you know they thought was good value. So Colgate found itself in foods, in crystalware, in in pet care. I mean, you know, all these different categories. And you know, it came the '80s, and they were trying to figure out what the hell to do with this portfolio. So yeah. I was just fortunate enough to be on the team. Uh, they brought in this guy C.K. Prahalad, who was really a smart guy. He came in, I think, from the University of Chicago or, you know, somewhere around there. And and um, just a smart dude that worked with a lot of the Fortune 100 on strategy. And, you know, he said, basically said, look, you know, you got to get rid of all this stuff that's not strategic for you. So look at yourself. What are your core brands? What are your core equities? He used to call them. And Colgate boiled it down to four core equities at the time, which was uh, oral care, body care, uh, household surface care, which is cleaning, and then detergents. And detergents, they pretty much divested over the years because it was not that important to them. And they kind of invested heavily in oral care. And within 10 years of that needing, they became the number one oral care company in the world and made many acquisitions there, right? Right. Uh, so, 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 so what happens is, you know, you get people who are CEOs of companies and um, they're just, they get distracted and they make wrong decisions, you know? Um, look at Enron, right? I mean, <laughs> you, know, you you had you had leadership, and they you know they took the the whole uh, you know company on the toilet because of just bad decisions. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what happens in 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 large organizations, and and that's why if you have a strong brand, it'll sustain one, maybe even two, uh, you know, ten years of of bad leadership. Uh, yeah. If you don't have a strong brand, you know, the, the company will sink. Yeah. Well, I think that the other corollary to that is identifying when you have a an issue and getting those people out quickly because, you know, a couple more years of bad leadership and we're <laughs> this might be unrecoverable. But look, uh, if, if you're just starting up a company, uh, think about your vision. You know, vision is not something you're going to say five years from now, you're going to say, well, I think it was the wrong vision. Let's do another vision statement. And five years after that, oh, it was the wrong vision. Let's. So look, vision statements, think about it hard, uh, contemplate it. And then once you find what that vision is, then you go with it. And it's got to be simple. You know, I'll share with you my, I share with you those, you know, three key questions. The, the vision for my life is man of God, leader, man. Right? That, that's a pretty simple statement. I mean, anybody can understand that. So why is that good for me? Look, anytime I have to make a major decision in my life, I run it against that statement. I come up against decision. You know, somebody wants me to take a job. Um, all right, is that going to be an honor God, and is that going to be a leadership position? If it fails one of those two tests, I don't take that job. Um, and and I had a lot of jobs when I was you know early on my career. Um, I had a lot of cigarette companies and liquor companies in Eastern Europe trying to recruit me, and, and I said no. 
it you know it fails one of those three, three questions so I, I don't take that job uh if i want to buy a company you know will will that you know if if uh if i want to have an affair you know <laughs> would, would, would that pass i mean you know right. you can you can run any a major decision in your life against that and if you have a clear vision statement and you're grounded in that um it's a very easy decision to make because either it passes it or fails it right if you have a if you have a complicated vision statement then it becomes much more difficult because it's complicated and you say well maybe 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 not i don't know right, right? so make it simple make it clear um and you know like i said you know uh, with puma we're the fastest brand on earth so you know, they're going to only sign endorsements who are fast. They're only going to develop products which make people fast. Right. right. Absolutely. Make it simple. Make it clear. Right. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. If you want to know more about Tom, you can check out leadershipdisciples.com as well as his other social links, all of which are in the show notes below. And again, thank you for joining me. Until next time, I'm Andrew Wallace, and we don't have a problem. We've got an opportunity. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.